When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, hello, everyone. We are here today for the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We don't have Dan today. He will be back with us tomorrow. It's just Mary, Kate, and Ashley, as we like to call Ooh. ourselves. <laughs> so twins. It's, yeah, it's the Mary, Kate, and Ashley pod. So, um, all right, well, we're going to dive right into it here. Uh, Ashley, I wrote down a number of names, a number of topics uh, that I thought we could touch upon uh, thing, guys that are in the news, names that are in the news, and some things that are pretty topical for this week. So the first one that I wanted to touch upon is Chris Kiffin. Chris Kiffin was the defensive line coach for the Cleveland Browns for the past three years. He's now gone. He has taken the linebackers coach job uh, for the Houston Texans. Last year at this time, Chris Kiffin actually left the Browns, went and joined his brother Lane uh, at Ole Miss, but then came back. And he coached what, what I thought was a very challenging season for the defensive line. So I figured we would kick that around a little bit about Chris Kiffin. What are your thoughts about him leaving and where does this leave the Browns in terms of their D-line right now? Yeah, you know, I think I know we agree on this, that this is a pretty, you know, this is one of the names that I know you were watching for that could probably be gone because we know Jim Schwartz's defenses in the past. The defensive line is so important, so it would make sense that he and Kevin Stefanski kind of mull this over. And we knew Chris, you know, kind of left last year and just came back by chance. Uh, but it is, I think, always interesting in the context to know that, and I know this was the headline of your story, that Miles Garrett is going to have a new defensive line coach. Um, and I think that's always something that Chris has always been, you know, one of the people who said he thought Miles could have another level to him, um, all those things. But like you alluded to, I mean, he obviously had to deal with a lot this year, the Jadavian Clowney stuff. I mean, I thought when we heard from him after that, he was very honest in a way that these coaches aren't a lot of the time. So that that was always interesting to me, like him maybe, you know, just kind of putting it all out there in case he went somewhere else, I thought, at the time. And and it's interesting in that context now, knowing he is going to the Texans. Yeah, I think the writing was on the wall by that point, that there was a good chance that Joe Woods was going to be fired. And those guys know uh, when that happens that their jobs are also on the line. And I think uh, Chris Kiffin, by that time, he probably had to know uh, that there was a good chance that he might be on his way out. Uh, we know that the, the defense only had 34 sacks this year, but, you know, I look at it and I really do think, and I wrote this in my story that, you know, I just think that the, uh, the Jadavian Clowney thing was a little bit bigger than we all realized at the time when your number two edge rusher is refusing to go into a game on anything but third down and then gets benched for the first series of the next game. And you know that he remains unhappy basically for the rest of the season. And is also suffering, uh, you know, from a mid ankle sprain and Miles was trying to like drag him back onto the field. I know you remember that. I remember that. Um, I think it was a really challenging season 
from a defensive line standpoint. I mean, Miles flipped his Porsche after week three, right? So you thought this was going to be a strength of the football team, and it was not a strength of the football team. Now, Miles still had his 16 sacks, but the next leading sacker was Taven Bryan with three. I mean, you got two out of Jadavian and Alex Wright combined, and Alex had none. So, I mean, don't you feel like this was, you know, it was just really, really a rough year uh, for a Chris Kiffin to try to, to get his job done, especially with what was going on uh, with Jadavian and Miles. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to we know this is just part of the NFL. And sometimes you are not given, you know, the, the, this league and these teams don't exist in vacuum. So nothing is ever going to be perfect. But Chris Kippen had more than most coaches have to deal with this year, I think. So definitely not ideal. You know, I'll always think back to that last time we heard from him. And I think it was Dan who asked him about leadership on the D-line and what kind of leaders do you have? And he famously named a bunch of guys who were no longer on the team and even made reference to the fact like, well, Miles started out really good and then flipped his car. So I think that was also a part of it. The personalities in that room this year, you had some younger guys, you had some veteran guys who were disgruntled in the case of Jadavian, some veteran guys who weren't producing the way you thought they would uh, in the defensive tackle spot. So I think all of that kind of led to there being a lot of adverse circumstances that he had to deal with that, again, like you said, it just kind of made the writing on the wall for him, I think, by the end of the year. And so I think when I look at the defensive line, of course, they're going to have a new defensive line coach. We don't know if that person is going to come from within or whether Jim Schwartz will now have an opportunity to go out and find someone who can run his you know, wide nine, four, three front and do what he does up there. He really emphasizes uh, the defensive line. He's very big on, uh, you know, dominant defensive tackles. Uh, you know, we know that they're probably going to have, obviously will have a number two, a new number two end. Uh, but things are, are going to really be changing up there on that, on that defensive line for 2023. Yeah, and it was interesting. I know we didn't talk about this beforehand, but I actually had this article pulled up from PFF where they looked at free agents coming up and underrated free agents. So I kind of went down to the the defensive line spot to see who they listed because, you know, we obviously talk about the Browns in terms of they don't necessarily have like a ton of assets anymore and like how much we know they're willing to spend financially at these positions um, that maybe like one name that they listed at defensive interior was Ashawn Robinson from the Rams. And, you know, they mentioned that he was had a sub-60 pass rushing grade, which isn't great, but it's better than the guys that the Browns had this year on the defensive interior. Um, and in the past two seasons, though, with the Rams, he's produced pretty good run defensive grades, which is exactly what this team needs, 78.3 and 68.7. Again, way better than any of the guys that the Browns had this year. Um, and then another interesting name that they listed at edge is actually Justin Houston from the Ravens. Now he's older, he's 34 right now. Um, but they say, you know, a guy who could still be a rotational kind of player. And I think like for me, going forward, when we talk about these changes, like those are kind of names, I think that might be worth keeping an eye on these guys who are quote unquote, underrated, but can still have an impact in our veterans. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think what would be good here is if 
Jim Schwartz has an opportunity to bring in that guy of his own. And then hopefully he will also have some input in some of the guys that they bring here uh, to help add to that defensive line. It's always nice when a, when a new coordinator has guys that can help implement his system and sort of carry his banner and set the tone. So Jim Schwartz should try to find some of the, go, the some yeah. of those guys. I talked to uh, Javon Hargrave at the uh, at the Super Bowl. You know, guys like that who play defensive tackle who have played for him before. I think it would probably be good for him to have somebody where you don't have to try to instill your way. They already have it in them inherently. So um, a coach that he feels comfortable with and a couple of players that he feels really comfortable with up on that D line, I think would really help. Let's talk about another coach that is going to be gone, probably will be gone very soon. And that is Drew Petzing. Uh, Jonathan Gannon got that job with the Cardinals. And, um, and as I wrote, I can't remember what day, Monday, I think I wrote, uh, yeah, Monday morning yeah. I wrote, right, that um, that Drew Petzing would be his number one choice for offensive coordinator. I really think that's going to happen. Uh, I think it'll happen fairly soon, probably. And, um, and, you know, he's been around here for three years. He's a trusted, trusted friend and advisor to Kevin Stefanski. They, they are very close. They work together in Minnesota. Uh, he spent two years as a uh, tight ends coach before he moved up to quarterback. So, in addition to Miles Garrett having a new defensive line coach, Deshaun Watson is going to have a new quarterbacks coach in his first full season with the Cleveland Browns. So just as important, I think, as the D line hire is on the offensive side of the ball, that's how important this quarterbacks coach hire is. Oh, for sure. And I mean, I know you guys talked about this on the Hey MK pod, but like Drew Petzing is kind of like beloved around the building, right? Like I know we all like him too, dealing with him from a media standpoint, um, that he's he's worked his way up really fast. And I think you've kind of seen his name rise over the last like year or so and rumblings around the league. And of course, last year he got that OC interview with Josh McDaniels when he was hired by the Raiders. So he, you know, you kind of have seen this coming. And I really like that idea that I know you threw out before about, hey, maybe, and we don't know this, obviously, but what if they went with an out-of-the-box hire and went with somebody like Quincy Avery, who is Deshaun Watson's like personal quarterbacks coach, um, and worked with him throughout the suspension, throughout those 11 weeks. Like, I do think that is really interesting. And I am curious to see how much like input Deshaun Watson might have in all this, because we've talked about this before, when you're devoting that much money to some guy, it then becomes like, okay, how much influence do you give him in all these other areas of your team? Yeah. And you know what, when I brought that up, I don't, I doubt they would go down that road. I really do doubt that they would just because of, uh, you know, some of the issues that we uh, also brought up about it yesterday that, you know, it could create a little bit of tension, maybe, you know, with other players that you're playing favorites, giving someone their private coach, uh, you know, it, it could, you know, create maybe perhaps a little bit of a, you know, division between the offensive coordinator and the quarterback's coach. If he's going to the QB coach with, you know, any kind of issues or complaints or wishes or desires or things like that. So, they probably won't do it, um, but I do like the the notion and the idea, like you said, of you know thinking outside the box and not always doing everything the way everybody else does it. But this also gives Kevin Stefanski another opportunity to hire somebody that he really feels good about and that he really believes in. 
Now, he can also put Chad O'Shea into that spot, who um, has been coaching wide receivers, and he's been an offensive coordinator before, um, and that would be, you know, a step up for Chad O'Shea. So it, it might just make sense to do that for him uh, because it kind of keeps him moving along that path, right? I mean, you go – a lot of times you go from yeah. – quarterbacks coach then up to offensive coordinator and it would maybe get him back uh, into that kind of a role again although I suppose there is a chance he could still end up with a coordinator job at some point this season but uh, if not you know that I think he would be a good candidate for the job Uh, I've also mentioned T.C. McCartney it would be a promotion uh, for T.C. up from uh, tight ends coach so lots of ways that they can go here but I think this is an important position I don't think it can be just, um, you know, just mechanics, because I think without Jacoby Brissett, who was, you know, such a, a confidant. Now, maybe Jacoby will be back if he can't find that starting job. But if he's gone, then I think the quarterback's coach does need to be somebody that can be a confidant, uh, someone that Deshaun Watson can lean on uh, in any way, not just you know, on the field stuff, but off the field stuff, because he has a different situation with his, all of his off the field issues than most other quarterbacks do. So you need to make sure you have someone in the building that can handle that part of it for him. And if it's not going to be Jacoby, it's got to be somebody else. They cannot leave a gaping hole in the sort of um, support system for Deshaun. Yeah, and that's why I think the Chad O'Shea option is kind of interesting because I think we know how the receivers feel about him, right? Like he's another assistant coach that guys, when they talk about him, you can just kind of tell how much influence he has. You know, when Kevin Stefanski, for example, has talked about the development of Donovan Peoples-Jones, he mentioned flat out that Chad O'Shea was a huge part in that. Um, I know he really stresses like mental health and the mental side of the game and things like that, which really I think goes appreciated in that room. Anthony Schwartz mentioned that to me. Some other guys have mentioned that part of it to me. Um, So he would be, I think, a really interesting option here. And like along those lines, that's basically what we saw them do with Drew Petsing last year. They didn't want to lose him to an outside coordinator job. He got an interview, so they promoted him. So it's kind of like that easy pipeline from within if you really are, you know, potentially worried about T.C. McCartney or Chad O'Shea going elsewhere. Um, But I think, like you said, it has to be the right guy, too, given all that's at stake with that room right now and given the fact, like, Jacoby's probably not going to be back. And just briefly, let's touch upon the fact that Todd Munkin took the job at, um, you know, in in Baltimore now. And I think that's kind of interesting because, uh, you know, here he is, the former Browns coordinator. He is going to be uh, calling plays for, Maybe Lamar Jackson, maybe not Lamar Jackson. Uh, I've seen it written and I kind of know it on my own too, that over there in Baltimore, they are not 100% certain that Lamar is going to be the quarterback. I mean, now that would be the shocker of, uh, of the season if he ends up somewhere else. But I think there's at least a chance. I mean, he has been, um, you know, it's been a tumultuous year with him. Ever since Deshaun uh, signed his $230 million guaranteed contract, Lamar feels that's what he deserves. They don't want to pay him that. And, you know, there's a line in the sand, and uh, this could be very challenging over there. So 
Um, you know, what are your thoughts on on that whole situation with uh, Lamar? And, and what if he's not even back in Baltimore this year? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think about because there's just so many variables at play. Like to me, this year, it's the Ravens with all the quarterback questions. Like last year, it felt like it was very much the Browns and the Steelers, and people were kind of starting to talk about Lamar. Um, but this offseason, it's all really front and center in Baltimore. And because you don't know if Lamar is back, there's a lot of variables when you take that job as Todd Munkin and what that, what, like what we can even begin to guess what that offense is going to look like. Because I think so much of it depends on Lamar because of how mobile he is, your offense is going to look totally different than most teams because that's what he does really well. So Todd Munkin takes that job with a lot of questions up in the air on his end as well and how this system is going to look under him. You know, I do think it's interesting that they've shaken up their coordinators now the last few years. They obviously parted ways with Wink Martindale last year on the defensive side of the ball, and it took them a while to kind of uh, settle in on the defensive side this year. So I'd expect them to be better there next year. And now the offensive side is the one where there are these questions that you didn't necessarily expect. So I do think that's interesting in all of this. I think that that's maybe like, obviously, I think the biggest question in the division right now outside of Cleveland and what the Browns are going to look like is what the heck is going to happen with Lamar Jackson? Because again, that is a, I think, franchise altering thing if he goes elsewhere. And you've been building as the Ravens around this one player for so long now. If he's gone, I don't know. I can't even begin to guess what, what it would look like under Todd Munkin if Lamar isn't there anymore. Well, you know, the thing about the Ravens and the thing also about, you know, this has been true with the Pittsburgh Steelers, too, over the years is uh, they're such a good organization. They have such a good personnel department that mm-hmm. if they don't somehow, some way, if they don't have Lamar, it just seems like they will find a way. They'll find another quarterback that they really like and they'll figure it out. Now, it's not easy. It would definitely not be easy to replace a Lamar Jackson. And we know that John Harbaugh uh, is confident that he will be back, but they'd have to, they'd really have to go out and find themselves uh, an incredible quarterback to make up for the loss of, of Lamar Jackson. I mean, I'm talking about a, you know, almost like an Aaron Rodgers type level quarterback to, to get to where they would want to go. And it's been challenging over there for them with Lamar. This is not, it hasn't been an easy season for them. So, um, so that's definitely something to keep an eye on. And as we move forward, we're going to be going to the NFL combine later this month. As we move to the combine, you start to hear more and more things about what's going to happen, you know, with the quarterback carousel and who's going where and what the free agents are going to be. So as we get there in late February, early March, uh, there there will start to be uh, some very, very interesting news coming out on all of that. Now, next, I would like to get uh, some of your thoughts. Dan and I have covered this a little bit um, on the uh, Hey MK pods, but I haven't really heard too much about what you have thought so far about um, about Greg Newsom and, and what Greg Newsom, yeah. <laughs> what Greg Newsom uh, yeah. you know, said, right, when we were at the so when I was at the Super Bowl, and that's when he answered no, when when a a reader uh, or a fan asked him if he would be open to playing inside again this year, and he gives the big N-O. So I've kind of given, you know, some of my thoughts on this, and I'll share a little bit more. But I'm just wondering, yeah. what do you think? And if you were the Cleveland Browns, what would you do about this situation? 
I feel like knowing the Browns, they are probably wishing that Greg would just log off of Twitter for a little bit because I don't, not to really get the whole thing, but very briefly, if people aren't familiar or you don't have Twitter to know what Greg's been doing, like Mary Kay said, he tweeted no um, when somebody, a fan, flat out asked him if he'd be willing to play inside in the slot corner spot again. Um, he retweeted Perry on Winfrey, who tweeted like a GIF meme in response to that that said, hell no. Um, so he had to chime in. Maybe not the best guy also to be on his Twitter. I'm curious how the Browns think about that. And then today, right before we got on to record this, I know I texted you, not inciting anything really with his specific role, but somebody tweeted about the Browns needing a receiving running back that can do it all. And Greg chimed in and tweeted Demetric Felton. And that was all he said. So I am really curious because like, I don't know what the end game is here for him. Um, you know, if this would eventually, if he would be mad enough by this to ask for a trade, like I feel like the Browns wouldn't, that wouldn't really fly with them knowing how they've handled these kind of things in the past with players disgruntled. Like they spent a lot on Greg in terms of draft capital. He was their first round pick. Um, so I don't know, especially with Jim Schwartz and knowing how Jim Schwartz is that this is going over well in that building in this like outward expression of, well, I'm not doing something. Because I think from Jim Schwartz, everything we know about him, his perspective would be as players, you should be doing anything we ask you to if we think it's going to give us a better chance to win. So I do think it's really interesting for him to kind of be popping off, so to speak, on social media right after a new coordinator gets hired. I mean, I wonder if that's part of it, if he's really digging his heels in now so that when they get to the offseason program, when they get to camp, he can say, hey, I've made my feelings known about this. And I don't blame Greg for being disgruntled if he does feel like, hey, I can't be as productive in the slot. I'm an outside corner. But at the same time, if the Browns really like Martin Emerson, you're going to have to trade off with him or you're going to have to play some flat so they can get all three of you in more between MJ, Greg, Denzel Ward. So I do think it's it's some interesting drama that I think Dan said might not ultimately, it feels like it might not amount to anything ultimately, right? It's February, guys on Twitter, oh well. But it is an interesting sentiment to see him digging his heels in on like this deep at this point in the offseason. Yeah, I mean, cornerbacks, you know, do like to play on the outside. That's, you know, that's where you put your best guys. That's where you make your money. And the reason why, of course, um, you know, Greg is having an issue with this is, you know, it it could potentially cost him Pro Bowls. It could cost mm-hmm. him millions of dollars. I mean, his, his I know, you can see where he's coming from, from the standpoint of, he probably feels like his career is on the line, his reputation is on the line, his money is on the line, and everything uh, about him is tied up in this decision to play nickel cornerback. And he doesn't want to be pigeonholed as a nickel cornerback. That's not what he wants. He believes he's an outside corner, and that's what he wants to do. Now, having said that, I really don't think he's going to have much choice in the matter. I think that um, you know, as you mentioned, they, they spent a lot of draft capital on him. He's the, he was Andrew Berry's second first round pick. Uh, he was, you know, a high first round pick and, um, or high enough. And, um, and they, they feel strongly about having the stable of cornerbacks that they do. And, uh, and I just don't think that they're going to be willing to part with, with any of them right now. And they're going to have to find a way to make it work. And, 
one of the ways they might have to make it work is for Greg to play in the slot. And if that's what they ask him to do, then that's probably what he's going to have to do. Now, I do think that this begs, uh, you know, some kind of a meeting between Greg and his people and, and the Browns. I mean, you can't just throw something like that out there and not address it. It's got to be addressed, you know, somehow, some way. And maybe it already has. Maybe the Browns, uh, you know, they're big on communication. Maybe they've already, uh, you know, reached out to his reps or maybe his reps have already reached out to the Browns and they've already touched bases about this. But that's the first thing that has to happen. Then Greg and Jim Schwartz are going to have to have a meeting of the minds when the time comes for that. They're going to have to talk it through. And uh, maybe Jim Schwartz can get him really, really excited about his role. You know, maybe he can give him a dual role or something where he'll play some inside, some outside, you know, and, you know, in some games you have to do some things that you don't want to do and other games you're going to love what you have to do. So um, it's going to be interesting because it's like the first challenge of Jim Schwartz's tenure as defensive coordinator. But the, you know, the thing about it with him is, I mean, he's seen it all. I mean, he yeah. has, right. I mean, he, he's been a, a defensive coordinator for 14 seasons. He's been a head coach for five seasons. You know, there's nothing that he hasn't seen. There's no, you know, player that he hasn't seen. You know, he, he's seen plenty of players not loving their role. Um, he's seen guys say things publicly, privately, social media. I mean, you name it, he has seen it all. So he's going to know how to deal with this. He probably already knows yeah. exactly how he wants to deal with this, right? Yeah. So, and I right, yeah. I mean, too, it's, like, interesting to me, I think, so much. And guys say this all the time, and sometimes I do think it's, like, player or coach speak, but there is some truth to it. And I'm going to kind of paraphrase here, but I think winning and production fix a lot. Like, mm -hmm. I think when it comes down to it, when we talk about Greg being disgruntled, number one, I think his personal production suffered. Like, he still doesn't have that first interception. I know that kills him. I talked to him about it when we were in Houston. He That was the game where it looked like he had one. It literally went off his fingertips. He got ahead of himself and was looking towards the end zone because if it would have been an interception, it would have been a pick six. I think that part of it kills him. And I think the fact that they've just had two disappointing years largely as a defense. I mean, they kind of turned around both years. 2021 was a better finish for them as a group than this past season. But I do think at the end of the day, if Jim Schwartz can like kind of, hey, turn this defense around, that's how you get guys on board with these kind of changes that, hey, maybe in, as individuals, they wouldn't think of wanting to do. But I think that would go a long way. But in the meantime, like you said, like you got to deal with this somehow if you're Jim Schwartz. And he probably he probably already dealt with it in whatever way he wants to or, or has a plan to. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one way or the, the other, there will be some kind of shakeup uh, in the secondary, because as we know, something could possibly happen with JJ3. Um, whether, you know, hopefully for everybody involved, he'll get restructured and he'll be around and he'll help uh, Jim Schwartz and the Cleveland Browns win some football games this year. But there's a chance that with his $13.5 million cap hit that, uh, you know, that something could happen there as well. So plenty to keep an eye on with the secondary and they will have a new coach too. The defensive backs are going to have a new coach because as we know, Jeff Howard, the secondary coach, left to take the Chargers linebacker job. So that's another spot where someone's going to come in either in-house or outside with a new fresh set of eyes on these guys. 
And, um, and I think it will go a long way towards trying to figure out who's going to play where and when and how. And uh, this will all be something to keep an eye on again over the next month. We are hurtling towards the acquisition season, right? I mean, hurtling towards it. And We're uh, at the combine in two weeks. Like that alone is why. And like you said yesterday on the Hey MK Pod, like that's where a lot of this stuff starts. And we know these discussions start um, off the record, of course. But like it's it's here, basically. It's crazy. Yes, it is absolutely crazy. Now, um, last thing here, uh, coming off of the Super Bowl, there were so many things uh, that came out of the Super Bowl, that came out of Super Bowl week, uh, that went on there. Um, you did that great story on, on the Kelsey brothers talking to their coaches uh, from around here. Uh, but when you look at Super Bowl week or the Super Bowl you know, itself, was there anything that like really stood out? Do you have a takeaway or two from the week or from the game? Something that just kept, you kept coming back to it and thinking that it just, I don't know, it just wouldn't leave you. Yeah. So, well, I actually, I wrote a newsletter about this and then we turned it into a post. I wrote the newsletter for the day after the Super Bowl, but uh, as I watched it and, you know, the, the Chiefs have the ball, they, they obviously get that call that goes their way. They're rolling towards the end of the game and Jarek McKinnon gets the ball. And what does he do? He stops himself from scoring. So obviously on a micro level, that took me back to the Jets game this year and how the Browns lost that one and Nick Chubb not going down uh, before he scored. And I think we've talked about it in the context of in our season wrap-up pod, especially like that was the first time that you knew something was really wrong or like broken with this team that was going to be hard for Deshaun Watson to fix. Um, and not just because of that play, but because of the defensive breakdowns in that game. But I think for me watching it and especially watching the Chiefs and the stuff Andy Reid does and like figuring out how him and Eric Bieniemy figured out how to use the motion to kind of the, the motion where they would do the motion and then go back. And that totally like flustered the Eagles defense and the McKinnon play where he goes down, like just seeing how smart these teams are. And I think we talk about the Browns with wanting to outsmart everyone around them. And I think not only watching like the skill of the pass catchers, which was, I know a big thing you talked about and things like that and how, you know, the defenses really weren't able to do much, but these pass catchers really performed when their teams needed them most. Um, I think it just kind of struck me again is how much more, how much further do the Browns have to go to kind of be able to outsmart opponents the way they should be to get at this level and the way I think they want to be knowing what we, how we think, how they think of themselves, I should say, and they want to be the smartest guys out in the field. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with you 100% on that. I loved the uh, the fake motion plays. Yeah, to be able to, they were awesome. Right? To be able to score on that one time is one thing, but to be able to score on it twice on, on back-to-back drives, I think it was, was pretty darn incredible. And it just speaks to uh, how creative uh, Andy Reid is and how they will go find any kind of a play anywhere. And I think that the Browns do need to do a better job of that. So whoever mm-hmm. they bring in as quarterbacks coach, uh, they should get him, you know, going back and looking at Rolls Bowls from, you know, 19, whatever. Yeah, and, that's uh, the kind of stuff Andy Reid does. <laughs> I mean, I know when they won that Super Bowl last, last time, you know, in 2020, whenever that was, yeah. I um, 
I was covering Michigan at the time. And like, he, he did that, right? Like he went back and watched an old Rose Bowl with Michigan. And I don't even know who, but I had to write about it because it was just so crazy. Like, yes. you do need to get more outside of the box. The ring around the Rosie play we saw earlier in the postseason, like mm-hmm. all kinds of creativity going on there in Kansas City. Yeah. So, you know, I do think that on both sides of the ball, the Browns need to uh, shock and surprise a little bit more. And I think that's one thing that didn't happen enough on the defensive side of the ball either. There were plenty of times where they would come out in the second half and nothing was different. Not only was it not mm-hmm. different, it was in a lot of cases worse than what was going on in the first yeah. half. You know what I mean? Like they just didn't have anything where they shut it down, closed it down, turned it up, figured it out. And, and that's got to happen on both sides of the ball, adjustments, surprises, and, uh, you know, wrinkles and things like that. So um, lots to learn from, you know, from the Super Bowl and from Super Bowl week. And uh, I think the Browns will uh, be getting to work with, you know, again, adding some some talent, some veteran talent. They will do that and they will add some coaches. So that is it from us today. Thank you for joining us on the Orange and Brown Talk, and we will be back with you tomorrow.